0: blessing it is today to hear them worship the Lord and lead us into that place of worship. Well, if you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, give the Lord a hearty amen. Amen. Give him the praise. He is worthy of it all. Good to see you in the house of God. And y'all look so great this morning. Good looking folk. And uh, we're just glad to have y'all here. We welcome all of our first time visitors with us today. I hope and pray the Lord speaks and blesses your heart. Uh, as we worship the Lord. Today I'm speaking on the subject of growing out of hardships. Hardships is something that all of us are familiar with. Hardships and troubles and problems and conflicts. All of these things come into our life. There's no way that you can live your life without hardships. They come to us uh, and many times they come unannounced. But they come And we have to deal with the bitter things that happen to us in life. We have to work through the issues uh, that come into our life. Some people progress and go forward and go upward through their troubles. Some digress and go downward. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject, growing out of hardships. Now that seems like a a, a paradox or it just seems like an oxymoron. How can you grow out of hardships? Also, this question, why do bad things happen to good people, can be found in this sermon this morning. There are a lot of answers uh, that we have in life that I believe that we can find in the storyline and in the life of a man, a very young man named Joseph. And my text this morning is found in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18 and 20, this is what the Bible says. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. There was something about his walk, something about his look. And as he approached his brothers, they, his brothers made plans to kill him. And then they began to call him names. He said, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And we could tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we become victims of very unsavory circumstances that are so painful and so devastating. Lord, it it has a tendency to derail everything about our beliefs about you and the Bible and Christianity. And God, sometimes it can upset our life. Father, I pray, bring stability, give us understanding. May we rise above our circumstances and rise above our emotional feelings. And Lord, see the big picture of what you're doing in our life and why things, even bad things, happen to good people. Father, we'll thank you for the word of God, thank you for the principles that you've given to us to grow in grace, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and glory for it all in Jesus, the best and the most glorious name on earth, and all God's people said, amen. I I don't know about you, but there's nothing more miserable than to be the object of someone's scorn and hatred because intrinsically there's something in all of us we want to be loved we want to be accepted we 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 want to be embraced but nothing sends a dagger in the center of the heart of a person than being hated by the very people who are supposed to love you and support you like family and this is what joseph experienced all of us i'm sure have had family issues and family problems some irreconcilable problems with family I don't think anyone has had the problem like this man Joseph had, this young fellow who was about 17 years of age when all of this was taking place. This poor guy named Joseph suffered the bitter pain of defamation and rejection and abuse because of the evil spirit of jealousy that had the touch of death on its breath. Joseph suffered because of jealousy. When we're faced with the victimization of jealousy, we we have the colossal decision, a very major decision in our life. Either we're going to be eaten up with bitterness and vindictiveness or about the unfairness of life, or we can throw our grief into the lap of the Almighty God for mental relief and deliverance. And I know what you're thinking. Easier said than done. When my little girls were little, and that was back in about 1812, I would give them a slice of lemon to eat. My wife would get so mad at me. And when she wasn't looking, I'd slice a little bit of uh, lemon, and I would, when they were still in their high chair, I'd put that little lemon in their mouth, and they didn't know, and they would bite into that lemon, and they... And I loved to watch their faces when they bit into that lemon. And it was just like the best movie, comedian movie you could ever watch. And I would just laugh. And boy, would she get mad at me. She said, you're sick. You're sick. She would. She'd get mad at me. But it was great. It wasn't going to kill them. There's a lot of good vitamins in lemons, right? No? Oh, okay. But it was... Funny Because it would make their faces twist and turn, and a bitter taste can really make the face look funny. If you don't believe so, give some to your child this afternoon. And you don't have to look far to find a bitter person. The world is filled with bitter people. I see them all the time. They just have that look about themselves, you know, that sour face thing. The only thing is when the heart is bitter, there's really nothing funny about that kind of a face. In fact, you might be sitting near someone this morning that has that look, would you check? (laughs) Oh, that look might be yours. You might have the look. But the Bible has a lot to say about being bitter, Christians are not immune from the strongholds of bitterness in their own life. I've been bitter. I've had to go to see a counselor one time. I went through something that was so sharp of pain. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to handle it. And one session with this counselor, just, just I sat down with him. I said, you know, I just can't. One plus one is like 12. I could not deal with this. And sometimes you have to have someone who's not close to you emotionally to go through something like that. And there is a multitude of safety with a good counselor. Ephesians 4.31 says, let all bitterness be put away from you. God doesn't want us to become bitter. In fact, the dictionary defines bitter as, as that which is sharp or something that is unpleasant to the taste, that which exhibits strong animosity or a strong resentment, and finally, that which is marked by anguish, resentfulness, or rancor. In fact, when the Bible speaks of a bitter spirit, it's speaking of that which produces a bad taste in your mouth or in your life, an unpleasant reaction which is characterized by the resentment of anger. And anger has different forms that it can take in our life. And we've got to be careful to re- recognize that circumstances themselves, the ugly things that happen to us in life, do not produce a bitter spirit. It's our response to those circumstances that turns life's troubles into roots of bitterness. So bitterness might then be defined as an inner resentment that follows a wrong response to unpleasant circumstances. It is an internal hidden anger at what life has produced for us. Superficially, it's always aimed at either people or incidents or tragedies that have happened in a life, we become bitter at our parents or bitter at our mates. We become bitter at our neighbors. We can become bitter over an accident. We can become bitter over a death or an in- apparent injustice. There's a lot of anger. But, but a deeper look into the word of God will reveal to us that, that all bitterness is in effect a deep resentment towards a sovereign God. Because we begin to feel, if God really loved me, it was God who allowed this incident to happen. And we expect God to protect us from pain in this life. And when the pain comes, we begin to question, where is God when I needed him? And we lay the blame at the feet of the Almighty. We find many people who are torn, even in the church, between serving God and resenting God at the same time. I've been pastoring a long time and I have sensed that some people with their faith, they can become ritualistic or legalistic. They can be profunctatory because they're not loving God with all their heart. They're serving God in hoping to work off or work out an angry resentment toward who he is and how he runs his universe and how he affects our life, sometimes adversely. So a bitter spirit is the result of a wrong response to the storms that hit us in life. The man or woman who nurses such a spirit lives under a proverbial cloud all of his days for everything happens is in viewed through the lens that is blurred by this thing I'm just bitter bitterness and we set ourselves up for a life of bitterness when we accuse God for the sorrows of life or by somehow holding him responsible for the pain in our life and the blows that we experience but the truth the foundational truth that God uses our suffering to accomplish his purposes should be tattooed to our souls. We desperately need an infusion of right and good theology so that when trouble comes, and it will come, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. You will have conflicts and problems. And when these troubles come, you won't buckle under pressure, and your faith won't collapse. The truth is, because of our rejection in the Garden of Eden, you got to remember that the fall of man is our responsibility as humans. It was man that disconnected from God. God created man in a perfect environment, set him up, gave him the ground rules, and said, hey, you do this... And you follow these guidelines, and and we're going to have a great relationship together, and you're going to have a great life, and it's going to be a utopia. It's going to be a world without sorrow, a world without pain. But it was man who listened to the devil. It was man that made a choice to outwardly disobey God. And it was man who fell down in sin, and we have all fallen like a bunch of dominoes. And here we are in the 21st century, our first father and our first mother fell into sin, and we've paid the consequence of it. But God in his mercy and his great love could have just said, well, too bad, and let us all perish into an eternal hell. But, but God being a great, gracious Lord, he made a bridge to build us back to him. And when we receive Christ as Savior, We found the forgiveness of sin. The physical body is doomed to death, but the soul and spirit is preserved in heaven. But then God took another step and said, "I guess what? I'm going to resurrect that old physical body and I'm going to reunite it with a glorified body and there you're going to live with me forever and ever back in the kingdom of God and you're going to be restored in a better state because now you're going to be joint heirs with me. You're now part of my family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and hallelujah for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. He's worthy of the praise. So God is intimately involved even in the worst things that happens in our life. And he seeks to relieve us from all of the worry, doubt, and fear. As we look into the life of Joseph, there are three great truths that help us grow out of our hardships. Number one, we've got to learn that troubles do not happen by accident. They're not by accident. Genesis 37, 23, and 28. So when Joseph arrived to the place where his brothers were, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe that he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern or a dry well. And now the well or the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And Judah, one of the older brothers, said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. And when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the well or cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Wow. This hardship came abruptly and unannounced to Joseph. Joseph was the... One next to the youngest of the family, a lot of the older brothers, they were more mature. And so as soon as Joseph shows up, hey, guys, all of a sudden, the Bible says they ripped off his robe, and then they possibly beat him up. And the Bible says that, that they grabbed him and threw him in a prison. This is family now. This is family And they threw him in an empty well to die. The crushing blow to Joseph. He didn't see the trouble coming. It was an abrupt attack, uh, an attack that was brewing beneath hidden strong feelings of hostility and jealousy. And even though Joseph was completely innocent of this evil treatment, God was orchestrating all of these events to prepare, prepare Joseph for a greater and a grander purpose in his life. So his trouble was not an accident. I have learned, and I'm still learning. I haven't fully got my hands around it. But I'm coming to realize, as I look in retrospect in my life, that all the things that have happened to me are there by God's divine purpose to shape me into the person that I am today. And that I realize that God is not disconnected from my life. He is not sitting far off in the universe somewhere, aloof from my life. But God is intricately in the details of my life, life, and he is producing things to shape and to mold my life. Wow. In times of abrupt troubles, there are some truths that defy human logic that don't seem to be fair or just. And we need to understand in order to make any sense of what happened to, to poor old Joseph, we've we got to come to the place that there are some things that happen to us. There, there's no rhyme or reason to it. If Some believe if we behave the right way in life that there, we'll be free from conflict. But that's not necessarily true because obedience doesn't always guarantee success. The Bible says that Jacob loved Joseph. That was the father. And there are several reasons why I believe he loved Joseph. One, Joseph was the offspring of the child of Rachel. Remember, there there were 12 boys. All of them represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And all the other guys that were born prior, before Joseph came on the scene, there were four other women that gave those children to, to Jacob, so they were stepbrothers, but as you know in the Bible, Jacob has always loved Rachel. Also, the Bible says that Jacob was a very old man when Joseph was born, and he probably thought, as you well know, as, as we bring children in the world, we learn more about parenting. We learn more what to do and what not to do. And by the time he got to Joseph, he was a pretty good parent by then. The Bible says he loved Joseph. But the reason he loved Joseph is because Joseph was loyal to his dad. Unlike the other boys, they were troublemakers. Joseph was, he had an excellent spirit about him. He was very obedient to his father. Whatever his father told him to do, he did it. Joseph was just a good boy, a good-looking boy, the Bible says. He was handsome. And Jacob was proud of him. Joseph also had a a heart for God and spiritual things. He showed respect. It's easy to love people who are reverential and respectful and are principled. We We love that. Jacob loved. He didn't cause him any grief. In fact, Jacob came to Joseph one day, which was probably the foundation of this whole issue. He, Jacob goes to his son one day and says, now all my other sons who are rascals, uh, Joseph, what I want you to do is go spy on them for me. Go down here near, near Shechem. That's where they're pasturing sheep. Check on these old boys and make sure that they're behaving themselves and they're getting along. And then uh, when you find them just remember now, he was about 17 years old, find out what's going on and then come back and report to me because I want to know and I want to use you as my eyes. So here comes Joseph, checking on the brothers. Also, he was not only obedient to his father, and he paid the consequence of that through his obedience. Also he was obedient to God, because God loved Joseph. And God gave some dreams to Joseph. He gave him the dream, first of all, of the sheaves of wheat that were gathered together and set up, and all the other sheaves bowed down to him, and he told them about it, which is he was 17. he was young. He said, "Hey, guys. One, one day you guys are going to bow down and I'm going to be your king. They're like, uh, yeah, right, that ain't going to happen. Then he had another dream of the moon and the sun and all the stars were going to bow down and worship him. He told them one day, he says, hey, guess what? All of you guys are going to recognize me in some leadership position and you're going to give me honor? And they're like, uh, okay, enough of your dreams. They despised them. Now, some theologians want to make Joseph out like a haughty kid, but really, he was 17. He was young. He was only conveying what God had deeply impressed in his heart. He didn't understand the magnitude of how jealousy works in the hearts of people. Never in his mind. What he was doing is just being obedient to God, obedient to his father, and look where it got him. The Bible says as soon as Joseph shows up in Shechem and to check on his brothers, the Bible says they ripped off his jacket, and then they grabbed him and then they threw him into prison why because they resented him because of his obedience and let me tell you something when you set out to obey God and when you set out to serve God you're going to become a problem for people who are jealous of you and your relationship with God and they're going to seek to bring you down They're going to misinterpret the spiritual blessings in your life as you being spiritual, mighty, or or a goody-two-shoe, or being haughty, or, or being a religious fanatic. And they'll do everything they can to bring you down to the level where they are. So obedience is not always a guarantee of success. And then number two, we can easily be blinded to God's plan and purpose. Now, Joseph had some great expectations. I mean, the dreams were really fantastic. I'm going to use you, Joseph. I'm I'm going to raise you to a spiritual position, a blessing. And and Joseph had some high expectations. when they grabbed him and they ripped off his coat and threw him into a pit. And then later on, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver to a bunch of traders that took him into Egypt. And and the Bible says in the scripture, the Psalmist said they had chains or fetters around his legs. They put an iron uh, brace around his neck and they hooked him in chains and took him like an old slave. Joseph was thinking, wait a minute, it's not supposed to be this way. My life is not supposed to go in this direction. This is not what I expected my life to be. Now I'm a prisoner. I'm a slave. What has happened to my life? He was blinded to the purposes and the plan of God. The Bible says he was carried off into slavery. He was blinded to the details that God was working out during times of pain and trouble. And I'm going to tell you something. You read the life of Joseph, there's about 15 chapters in the book of Genesis. There's more chapters about the the life of Joseph than any other Bible character. He was carried off into slavery, and not only that, he was put in Potiphar's house. And you know the story about Potiphar's wife. She was a nymphomaniac. If you don't know what that means, call the office. I'll sit down and talk to you about it this week. She, the the Bible says, she she loved, she got her sights fixed on. He was a fine-looking dude. Potiphar was too busy. Plus, Potiphar probably had a pot belly. Potiphar was probably, you know, not too desirable. But Joseph was, the Bible says, a a goodly-looking man. And she went after him. But Joseph being grounded and Joseph being principled, he just basically said, I cannot sin against heaven and God by allowing some immorality. And the Bible says, and he basically embarrassed the woman. He said, no. And he tore away from her and she got his jacket. And then she went to Potiphar. She was a rascal. And she said, oh my goodness, Joseph tried to rape me. Potiphar went into a rage, threw him into prison, and now this poor guy, Joseph, he, he didn't have a ghost of a chance. And while he's sitting in prison, he began to think about my life. He says, wait a minute, where, what, what, what about the sheaves? And, and what about the moon and the stars? Look where I'm at. I'm at the lowest point in my life. What is happening to my life? But the fact of the matter is the Bible says he was sustained spiritually because he believed that God had a plan We learn that God uses the evil of others to accomplish his plans. And God uses the evil deeds of the brothers of Joseph to begin fulfilling his plan as revealed in his dreams. Jesus is the ultimate example of this truth. God was working his plan through the evil of others. It it, it took a Judas Iscariot to get him to the cross It took the evil work of the Jewish leaders to conspire against Jesus, who wanted Jesus executed. And it was the evil of Pilate who basically was not listening to Jesus or what he had to say. And God uses what we are enduring to accomplish his plans. People can plan against God and rebel in vain because at the end, God will be victorious. And my word for you today, you're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. You're only being tested of the Lord. When we focus on our immediate unfair sorrow that hits us in life, we end up in despair and bitterness because it's so human, it's so easy for us to be obsessed with our pain and our suffering that it totally begins to eat us up from the inside and the very fiber of who we are diminishes. But as long as we focus exclusively on our pain and hardships or the people who hurt us, we're doomed to dwell in the swamp of bitterness for the rest of our life. And we lose out on the call that God has for us. What our enemies intend and what God intends are two different things. Those who misuse us and hurt us will someday be called into account for it. If not in this life, then in the life to come. But the scales of justice will be balanced in the end. If you believe that today, say amen. And in the end, we will be transformed and our faith will be stronger and our reliance on the things of the world will be lessened. The Lord will be our portion. I like what it says, the high priest in the Old Testament. It is the Lord, let him do what seemeth best. Jacob said the same thing. After he lost 10 of his children in one day, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then number two, we got to see the good where others can see the trouble. Genesis 45, 4 and 5, time has come to pass After the suffering of Joseph in prison, God has raised him out of the prison to the second highest position in Egypt. God was working out his purposes and the land of Israel was facing a famine and a drought and the people were dying off like flies and Jacob the father, very up in age, told his other 11 sons, I want you to get over to Egypt and get some food because we hear that they have somehow supernaturally have been prepared for this famine and drought, and they're ready to feed the world. And the brothers made their way all the way back to Egypt, and the brothers came in contact with the second highest man in Egypt, who happened to be Joseph. And this is what the Bible says in our text in Genesis 45, 4 and 5. Joseph says, "'Please come closer,' he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. I'm sure they were starting to freak out. We're not going to get food. We're going to get our heads cut off. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. There are two aspects to every event in our life. One, there's the falling out of human corruption and problems and tragedy. Or on the other, there's the perfect plan and the will of God. You see, the way of true freedom from the tyranny of our circumstances is to see the will of God behind every event that takes place in our life. That is what puts things into perspective for Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed before his arrest, he agonized over the dreadful events that were about to unfold, but he knew that they were appointed of the Father for these things to take place. He knew that the Father was going to put him into the hands of sinners so he could be sacrificed on the cross, so his blood would be shed, so that the world could receive him as Lord and Savior. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he could have called for 10,000 angels to deliver him. He could have wiped out and killed every soldier, every human upon the face of the earth. The, The vengeance of heaven could have come down with a fiery, sulfuric... But it did not happen. Why? Because Jesus knew that the Father was giving him over to be the supreme sacrifice so that mankind could be redeemed from its sin, so that mankind would have an opportunity to leave the paths of sin and to get on the paths of righteousness and to be adopted in the family of God. It was God's ultimate plan that the crucifixion would take place. Praise his name. And as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, out of that agony as he prayed, great drops of blood, he accepted the betrayal, he accepted the trial, he accepted the cross. Now, you've got to believe this. God has a great purpose for your life. Joseph believed it for years. It had sustained him while he was sitting in a dark, dank, rat-infested prison. There was no obvious answers to the troubles in his life. He could not make any sense of it all, but this is what Joseph did. This is what kept Joseph moving forward. This is what kept him from a life of bitterness and turning against God. Because accepting the sovereignty of God makes us able to rise above our circumstances rather than to be victims of them. You're asking the question, what does it mean about God's sovereignty? God's sovereignty refers to his right to rule his world as he pleases. We are his creation. Amen? He is the creator. When you resign your right in the hand of God, it is then that you begin to have peace in your trouble. You begin to realize that what has happened to you in your life is not an accident. That you realize that God has something good in your life and there's no sense kicking against the pricks, getting angry at God, because, my friend, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the quality of your life. You're going to lose your reward in heaven, and you're going to enter a very embittered life. But rather, you need to look at the pain that has come in your life and realize, God is shaping me, and I am the creation. He is the creator, and to him be all the glory. Our problem is that we think that God is bound to the sinful consequences of this life. We project onto him our own perspective, our own ideas, our own opinions, our own self-willed strategies, and we really think that we should act as if we are the center of the world and that we are the center of the universe. In fact, It's a wonderful consolation to be knocked off our little thrones once in a while and to yield to the sovereignty of God, to the one who has the right to rule and the one, let me say this, knows it all. You see your life in the little window of pain that you live in. But God's looking down from the heaven and he sees the big picture. He sees how he can use you for his glory. And he knows what it's going to take. He knows about your sinfulness. He knows about your weakness. He knows what it's going to take to bring about his glory in your life. So therefore, you are not a victim, but rather step back and say... God, you are doing a work in my life. You're chiseling, you are sanding, you're doing a work because in the ultimate end, I'm going to recognize that it was for your glory and for your honor. And at the end, you don't have to cry and whine and complain. At the end, you're going to stand back and see your life as a beautiful masterpiece. And you're going to say, to God be the glory. Thus, that's why he said to his brother, it was not you but God that sent me to Egypt. You meant it for evil. You really did. But God overruled. He trumped your wrongdoings. And he used your evil for good. God is not held hostage to the evil in the world. He knows how to take evil and put it in his hand and use it for his glory. The devil wants to nail Jesus to the cross. And he said, go ahead, because there's the fountain that's going to open up, that the world can be washed from its sins. Little did he know that three days later, the one who nailed to the cross, God raised them from the dead to bring all of humanity out of their graves and to restore them in the kingdom of God. To God be the glory. What a wonderful triumph. Amen. (laughs) To make the point clear, we should understand that Joseph... Means to say more than simply that God was there when he was in prison. Joseph was saying God was in charge of the whole process. It's not as if the brother sold him into slavery and then God intervened to bring about a good result. His word demands something more than that. Joseph means that everything that happened, the good and the bad, was all part of God's ultimate plan for his life. What a profound view of sovereignty and then number 3 and then I'm through. There's a reason to be accepting and forgiving. Here's the resolve in Joseph in Genesis 45:8. So it was God who sent me here. It was God. Not you. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Joseph graciously forgave all of his brothers in view of God's great plan of reconciliation. He could have put his brothers in prison. He could have pulled them and said, all right, you dirty rats, this is Joseph. Remember how you you ripped up my daddy's robe that he gave me? Remember how you threw me in the prison? Y'all did. He could have called for the soldiers of Egypt, had them all executed. Pharaoh would have said, go for it, man, but he forgave him because he realized that God used them to get him to Egypt to rule, to save them. The key reason Joseph was able to forgive his brothers was his ability to see the overarching purpose of God And in the same way, if we could recognize that God's gracious work continues even through the sins of others, then we would learn better how to forgive as well. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about His plan and it's about His purpose. And the question comes down to this. Can we trust God that He can use every sin that is hurled against us to work out His purpose? And remember, for 20 years, Joseph didn't see any indication what God was doing in his life. None. But here's a major pothole in the road to trusting God. What if we can't see such a redeeming purpose of our suffering? What if the sin or abuse against us seems totally senseless without any positive purpose? Then what? We need to remember that God often works in decades. It took two decades for Joseph to actually begin to see the reason and the purpose of his struggles of life. Sometimes there is no reconciliation, sometimes the the mistreatment continues to to go unabated in this life. But if we believe in the sovereignty of God, we have a reason to accept the hard blows that hit us deeply and then to accept our lot in life. We have a new admiration for God's wisdom in all things. Life is like a giant jigsaw puzzle. I've often said this. And we're like little children trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together with only a few handful of pieces at a time. And someone took the box away that gave us the cover or the picture on the cover. And we're doing our best to try to make sense. So we're left to... fit all these little pieces together and it doesn't make sense and the the ends don't fit together and we struggle to figure out what life is all about. We don't know. And as the years pass, we pick up a few more pieces of the puzzle and when we come to the end of our life, God begins to reveal to us the picture that begins to form and we begin to have a new appreciation for the wisdom of God because nothing is ever wasted Everything fits somewhere. I was sharing with a couple this weekend. God brought a person in my life. I prayed. I was regimented in my prayer life. But it was lacking passion. It was lacking luster. But God brought someone into my life that taught me the power of prayer. And this sandpaper person whew, drove me into a very intimate, passionate prayer life. I look back at that now and I thought, oh, man, did I ever get experienced some bad ills of life. And I look back at that now and I say, God, years and years ago, I thank God that that person was brought in my life because it was that person that motivated me to pray. And when I get to heaven, God's going to say, I had to put that person there to get you to, to pray right and to pray fervently. Sometimes we're like little ants crawling across a Rembrandt painting. We come to the darker colors. It seems as if the entire painting is dark, somber, foreboding. Everything around us is dark brown, dark blue, or midnight black. We're like little ants crawling on this dark canvas. But if we could only stand back from the painting, we would see that the darker hues are offset by the lighter colors of red and green and yellow. You see, it's the darkness of the darker hues that make the brighter colors stand out so vividly. So it is with life itself. We may spend days or weeks or years in the darker tones of life. Sickness, heartache, tragedy, sorrow, mistreatment, betrayal. All of these may cause us to think that there are no lighter tones in life, and life is a drudgery. But the fact of the matter, God is painting a masterpiece in your life. And before he's finished, he will use every color on his palette And if you don't see the final product on earth one day when you get to heaven, you're going to see it clearly. And you ask the question, how can we live like this in a world where tragedy is never far away? How can I be happy when my life is blown to pieces? The answer is simple, though not easy to put into practice. We have to live by faith. We choose to believe that God is at work in everything that happens to us. And we choose to believe that even when we can't see a thing, we still have to have faith. Faith like that is made strong when it's based on the promises of God's word. And that's why the story of Joseph is important for us this morning. The world says, Seeing is believing. If I see it, I will believe it. But that's the principle is reversed in the spiritual realm. God says, Believing is seeing. We will see God's hand once we believe. And may I say, The hand of God is in your life. Trouble comes. People look at me, why? I don't know. I'm a creation like you are. But I know this. He never fails. He is perfect in every way. He is the sovereign God. He has a right to do whatever he chooses to do. And when you surrender to the sovereignty of God, it is then that you find the comfort of life. It is the Lord. Let him do as it pleases him. It is God. He loves you. He is working out his purposes in your life. It's bigger than you. There is no logic. There's no reasoning. You just stand back and say, God... I'm bleeding, I'm hemorrhaging, I'm hurting, but I have full faith you know what you're doing, and I'm going to trust you. And I know ultimately when I get to heaven, I will shine like the stars in the firmament. I will shine in the universe because ultimately you're a weaving your masterpiece on this earth. If I could spend a Take a microphone and send it to the auditorium. We could get some great harrowing stories of trouble. But ultimately, God loves us just like he loved Jacob. 20 years, the man suffered without any knowledge of what God was going to do. 20 years, but through it all, he had faith. Sitting in that dark prison... When circumstances were zilch, he knew his God was good. He knew his God was in control. And he knew that he loved him. And he just hung on one day at a time. Don't charge God foolishly. Don't do that. He is your creator. You're not God. He is. Surrender to Him. Embrace everything that God brings in your life. You're not a victim. He is shining you up for the kingdom of heaven. You're going to spend a lot more time over there than you are here. Let God do what He needs to do. Let's pray.